Well, good morning again, get well. Uh, we appreciate the, the Carroll family for being such uh, good sports. We, uh, we, we got a kind of good laugh at that, but we just are so excited about the baptisms of both uh, Cooper and Bradley this morning. So um, it is a pleasure and a joy to be here this morning as we continue our walk through this thread series, as we walk together, threading the pieces of the Bible together. Um, it's been such a joy, and if you have not been able to be with us, maybe you've missed a Sunday or two, we're going to do a quick recap um, of where we've been. And if you haven't been able to join us through the reading, we are taking this series all the way through Easter, and there is a reading guide. And I don't want you to become discouraged that... Um, you, you haven't done the reading, there's plenty of time to go back and to follow along. So grab one of these at the information desk on the way out. You will not be sorry that you um, picked this up as well. So just a quick recap of where we've been. Jonathan started us off with creation several weeks ago, and then Greg so eloquently took us through the patriarchs, and last week Jonathan led us through um, the uh, Israelites' path to enslavement to the Egyptians, and that's where we are today. I'm covering the exodus and the conquest going all the way up to the exile and will end up at the return of Christ. So I uh, um, just encourage you that if you're not able to join us for a Sunday, make sure to go and pick up our, our um, uh, uh, sermons online. Or if you're traveling, you can always get the online sermons wherever you are. So um, last week, Jonathan taught us that we have a God who hears. And we have a God who sees, and we have a God that knows us. Specifically, he went over Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, in which it says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned, meaning I know about their suffering. And today, we are focusing on the 10 plagues, the Passover, carrying us through the Exodus all the way to the Red Sea, up to Mount Sinai, to the very first commandment. And through all of this, we're going to learn today that we have a God that both delivers and provides for us. It's important to note before we go any further that just like Candace said before the, the song about miracles, that the same God of the God of the Israelites many, many years ago is the same God that we have today that knows us, hears us, sees us, provides for us, and delivers a way out for us. We have learned up until now about several different people groups, first of being the Israelites. We know that the Israelites have been come enslaved to the Egyptians. And maybe you identify with some of these people groups this morning, and maybe you're not enslaved to a particular person, but maybe to a specific sin. And you find yourself identifying with the Israelites at this point. Or maybe, you identify with the Egyptians. You see, the Egyptians made their life's work 
worshiping their gods of nature. And they relied on these gods for every single thing. They worshiped them to find favor with them. And maybe today you've made an idol out of something. I know we all have at some point. Or maybe you're like Pharaoh and it's hard to even say that you might be like Pharaoh with a hardened heart, but maybe that's the case. If you're watching online or you're sitting here and you just feel your heart hardened towards God this morning, whatever it is, I just pray that God open the eyes of your heart and speak to you today wherever you are. Uh, like I said, I have just enjoyed this reading so much. And I encourage you to go back and read because as I have been going through this sermon study, these pages of Exodus have lifted off the page for me. And what I came to realize is that Exodus is not about the Israelites. It's not about the Egyptians. It's not about Pharaoh or Moses or Aaron. But the book of Exodus is all about God. It is a book that tells us the story of redemption and deliverance, which becomes the very foundation for the very rest of the Bible. And today we'll cover how God uses the 10 plagues all the way through the encounter at Mount Sinai to display his supremacy over the Egypt and Pharaoh. So in our reading today, if you'll turn to Exodus 7 verse 1, we'll see exactly that God tells Moses and Aaron exactly what's about to happen, and then he tells them why, because we always like to know a why, right? So if you'll read along with me, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, meaning the ten plagues, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So the here right now we see God's plan to deliver his people, but why? So they may know that I am God. This is the overarching theme of the book of Exodus is to show us the Israelites, Pharaoh, the Egyptians, that he is Lord. This is a direct reference to Isaiah 45 when it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So we start to see how he delivers the Israelites through the judgment of their enemies. 
But this is not judgment just for judgment's sake. The ultimate goal here is the declaration and glorification of God's name. You see, we have covered many themes already during this sermon series. Creation, redemption, judgment today, and mercy will cover today. Grace, wrath, and deliverance. Sometimes we see these things and we may just glaze over them, not understanding their importance. And the fact is they're not individual themes of the Bible but each of these put together much like a pearl on a string of necklace that is connected together to make much of God. Everything that God does is a direct display of his glory. We see through each of the 10 plagues that God focuses a judgment on the false gods of the Egyptians and the pride that lays within Pharaoh's heart. God's glory can be seen in his judgment along with his mercy. Each plague, though, was designed to literally humiliate the Egyptian belief in their gods. They believed these gods had power over their culture, like I said, and they worshiped these gods continually. So there's no mistake that we arrive at our first plague. Nothing was as revered as the Nile River to the Egyptians. In fact, almost all of Egypt was built around the Nile. Uh, the Egyptians went to the Nile for their water. They ate the fish out of the water. Every year, the Nile, it would flood and over the banks, would, um, would, the water would flow and it would contain silt, which would make for rich, the growing of rich crops in which they ate off of the crops that were grown. So at the very heart of the plague, this Nile was uh, stricken with blood. And all of the expanse of the Nile and its tributaries, everything it bled into turned to blood. And the Egyptians, they worshiped water. In fact, the, the uh, Egyptian god of water, his name was Happy, H-A-P-I. And he was said to have been the god of water, fertility, and life. So the, this plague took a direct hit that this God happy was of no value to the Egyptians. Let me just note this, and I think it's, it's um, good for us to know the very river that brought life to the Egyptians, as Jonathan taught us last week, brought death to the Israelites. As the Israelites were becoming oppressed because they were growing great in number. So Pharaoh ordered the male baby of every family to be thrown into the Nile. So we see that this is significant, that the very river that brought life to the Egyptians brought death to the Israelites. Furthermore, the Egyptians' um, worship of water later led to their demise as they were swallowed up into the Red Sea. So that's just a foreshadowing of what we're about to see in these, this idol, as we see these idols destruct, self-destruct the Egyptians. So we see that Pharaoh does not relent to let his people go, so God brought the plague of the frogs. Now this is one that really gets to me, I cannot stand a frog. 
I cannot stand a frog. I don't know about you, but frogs meant a lot to the Egyptians. They symbolized fertility. And their god of fer- goddess of fertility, her name was Hecate. And uh, so they worshiped this god, goddess Hecate. And so the, the um, you know, a couple frogs probably were okay with them, but it said that they came out of the Nile into their homes, into their beds, and into their kneading bowls. So that means they were sleeping with frogs and the frogs were in their food. I don't know about you, but that just creeps me out. I can't imagine this. And it even got to Pharaoh, it says. In Exodus chapter eight, if you just turn one page over, I didn't have this in our study outline, but I just had to, God just reinforced this with me as as I walk through this. And this is what he finally says to Moses and Aaron. It says, he, he summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take these frogs from me and my people. And then I will let you go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. So even Pharaoh was literally probably up to his neck in a mess. And this is so funny because I can just imagine Moses saying this back. Read what he says. Moses said to Pharaoh, well, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. I could just see that might just be a little bit of a smart way of saying, well, I'll leave you the honor. You let me know when you want this plague to end. And what does Pharaoh say? tomorrow. (laughs) He had the power to stop it today. All he had to do was tell Moses. And I feel like God said, Kim, you are the very same way. When you get yourself into a mess and you're up to your neck in a mess and you know a God that provides and a God that delivers a way out and you say, I'll just put it off to tomorrow. And we live in our problems and we live in our misery one more day. But, so God did bring an end to that plague, but the frogs died, and several translations said it reeked. It reeked from all the dead frogs. But when the heat was off, Pharaoh relented and did not let the Israelites go. So then we see that God brought the plague of gnats, And then he brought the plague of flies. And we see God's mercy starting to weave through this judgment as he spares the land of Goshen where his Israelite people lived. And they were spared of these plagues. We also see God's mercy weaved in as he warns Pharaoh each time about what's about to happen. So nothing is a surprise and Pharaoh could stop it at any time, but yet his heart is hardened. So we see that the plagues build on intensity and we see the plague of the livestock. Every, um, every calf, donkey, every bit of livestock struck down in death, a strike at the very heart of the Egyptians' economy. But yet Pharaoh does not relent, so, he brings, so God brings the plague of the boils Now, this is um, a stab at the very heart of this as uh, the Egyptians uh, viewed skin infections as a religious 
impurity. So it was a direct um, humiliation of the, the God of health and disease for the Egyptians. But then God brought the plague of hail. And this is not just any hail, it's life-ending hail. And God even um, told Moses and Aaron to warn Pharaoh, anything left out in the fields, any animal or person left in the fields will surely die. Bring them in and cover them as I'm bringing the hail. But Pharaoh does not act in full obedience. And we see that he is beginning to bring destruction and self-destruction on himself and people. And then God sends the plague of the locusts to destroy all that was left, all the ground, anything that was left of the land. And then Pharaoh started to relent, but then he refused to let his people go. And then God sent the plague of the darkness and it became dark for three days. Egyptian life stopped and every single Egyptian was affected by this plague. They were isolated in their, their life. Nobody could do anything and Pharaoh does not let his people go. And then we come to our last plague, the plague of the firstborn. This is where we get the term, the Passover, the death of every firstborn. Now he gives, shows his mercy because he gives the Israelites a way out. And he says, if you will sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the sacrificed lamb and put it over the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house. But every Egyptian firstborn will have death come upon them, including Pharaoh. And it was so, and it happened. And finally, Pharaoh came and said, this is the last straw. I'm done, you can leave, go and worship the Lord. And so the, so the Israelites pick up, they pick up everything that they have and can take with them. God gave, softened the Egyptians' heart and they plundered the Egyptians for their silver and gold and they took off into the wilderness. We see that the history of the word firstborn here, it's very significant because it's the convergence of God's ability to be God and his plan to deliver his people. The death of the firstborn, where we see God's sovereignty and his salvation extend all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. You see, we have just seen where God redeemed Israel through the death of the firstborn. And in the New Testament, he redeems his people from the slavery of sin and death through his firstborn son, Jesus, as he died on the cross for our sins. Just like we just saw that he delivered Israel, he has delivered us from an eternity of death. His firstborn son bore our sins, the sins of you, the sins of me on the cross. And today we see the significance of that as it extends from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But this isn't the end because in typical Pharaoh fashion, he changes his mind again and he goes after the Israelites. 
Now the Israelites find themselves kind of what I say between a rock and a hard place because they've wandered out to the wilderness and they have nowhere to go. Nothing behind them except the Red Sea. Isn't that so frustrating when we get between a rock and a hard place and we see that there is no way out? Yeah, and they even say, God, you've brought us all the way here just to let us die because they see Pharaoh and his army are after them. And God allows Moses to part the Red Sea and for them to walk through dry land with water on their left and water on their right. And they walk through across the Red Sea. Y'all, if you haven't read this, I just ask you to go back and read this in t today. Just this morning as I was re-reviewing, it just gives me chills to visualize how God had delivered and provided a way out for the Israelites. And then what happens is that Moses turns around and he puts together the sea again. He, the Egyptians are enveloped in the sea and they, they die. Every one of them that day, including Pharaoh, lost their life to water, the very thing that they worshiped. The very thing they worshiped led to their demise. And so we see that the Israelites are on their way and we come to the to part of the, the lesson today and when Moses comes to Mount Sinai, they come to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down, and in Exodus 20, if you have your Bibles, or if not, just make a note to go back and look. We see the preamble, basically, to the Ten Commandments says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he goes over the first commandment. And this brings our lesson full circle today. It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Y'all, this, this commandment is not just, just first in, um, in, in, not just first in order, but it is the first in priority. In fact, all other commandments are a direct reflection of this first commandment. This means that there is no one greater, no one more important or worthy of our attention and worship than God. But sometimes we find ourselves turning to our false gods in our attempts to control our lives. Have you been there? I know I have. Whatever our idol is, be it money, fame, a job, success, it always turns on you. What you thought you were controlling, an attempt to control your life, ends up turning around and controlling you. And it, always, it can be, like we've seen today, a means to our own destruction. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, 
Anything you seek to give, what, give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel like living. We've just, we have just seen what happened to a people that were so consumed with their idols that it led to their destruction and ultimately their demise. So the question to myself and to you today is what are you putting before God today? What are you giving your attention to? Is it other people's opinions? Is it your job, your wealth, your achievement, or just control? It may seem like a hopeless situation to you. You may feel like you're so far down a road that you'll never get out of the sin that has such a grip on you. Maybe you've been in isolation. Most all of us have over this last year and you have fallen slave to a sin you never thought was possible for you to, to be enslaved to. But the good news is, is we've just learned about a God today that delivers his people and he provides a way out through the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross. He rescues us from our slavery to false gods. But I'm just gonna close with these three last things. In order for us to completely give ourselves over to God, we must recognize that one, I am a sinner. Y'all, this is an even playing ground for all of us because not one of us who is listening online or one of us who's in this place is not a sinner. Number two, we have to recognize that I cannot save myself. This is a hard one for me. This is one God really pricks my heart on. I cannot save myself, only he can do that. And number three, by faith, I need to put my trust in God. I don't know where you are today with your idols of sin, but this morning we have altar rails here that are available for you to come. We have pastors who are ready to pray with you. If you're at home sitting on your couch watching today, I just pray if you need to stay in your seats here and pray. I pray that you allow me to pray for you as God deals with your heart as he has dealt with mine over where the priority he, of he is in our lives. Is he your first priority? It's a question we need to ask ourselves today. Let me pray for us. Oh God, I come first to you today and say I am a sinner and in my many attempts to control my life, you have shown me that you are the only one who can really can save me. And by faith, I've had to over and over again put my trust in you. So this morning, I just ask that you open the eyes of the hearts of the people who are listening today, whether it be here or online, Lord, that you are here to deliver a way out that you don't leave us 
at the, at the beginning of that Red Sea, but that you part the Red Sea for us and you make a way so we can walk right through it. You are our way maker. We're about to sing about you making a way for us in a dry and a weary land where we don't think that there is a way. Lord, thank you for making that way for us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.